Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. Garden Church, we're meeting in the garden outside at the Grand. Right inside is the garden room. This is all what they call, they named it, so that's pretty rad. Um, we are here together. Pastor Bill and I are, go- are going to preach together if we figure out how to use... It's in the computer. Hey, I, did, I, I didn't break it. Bill, I don't know if you're able to sit while I talk, but I brought this out for you. It's Does for it the kids. Yeah, it's got wax stuff Does in it there have and chocolate candies. No candies for the kids, but there's crayons and stuff for you to Thank enjoy you. while I preach. Hey, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, and um, we we believe that Jesus lived in human history. He died on a cross, was buried, and he rose again. And uh, Karl Barth said, if there's no empty tomb, there's no Christianity. We are here not because of an idea, not because of some philosophy, not because Jesus was just a good teacher or prophet teaching you how to be a better person on earth. We are here because Jesus lived and died and rose again. And we want to talk about that reality. So we're going to have a conversation about uh, the resurrection story that we read in the Gospel of Mark. 
and, um, and we're going to talk about what we, what we experience from this story, but what we can learn from this resurrection story for our everyday ordinary life. And that's what I want to get into your hearts today, that the story that Mark gives us on the resurrection has massive implications for ordinary life. So Bill's going to start us off with reading the text, and then we'll probably go ping-ponging back and forth. He'll say something really smart. I'll say something funny. He'll say something. No, I'm just kidding. You can go for it. <laughs> I love you. Um, I love you too. I know. Because I'm supposed to say that it's when right you say the notes. I love Yeah, thank you. Tell him what else. Say, anyway, um, read the yeah. other part. <laughs> yeah. It says, you're my favorite right there. That's what you're supposed to say. Um, we're going to, as Darren said, we're going to be uh, playing with this story um, as it's recorded in Mark. And I think it's fascinating to me that the early church did not commemorate the empty tomb. That it was actually not until a couple hundred years later that they ever thought to preserve the site. Because for them, the empty tomb was not the point. It was the launching pad. It was the beginning. And this story, the Gospel of Mark, helps us to understand why that is. So we'll pick it up in the 16th chapter, verse 1. It says this, When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they were asking each other, who will roll a stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See, this is the place where they laid him. So go, tell his disciples and Peter... He is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's how the first account of the resurrection ends. There are, if you have a copy of scripture, you'll notice that there are a few more verses in the Gospel of Mark, but they weren't in the original. They got added three or 400 years later when the church decided if this document is going to travel on its own, we need a different ending. But this is an intentional and strategic ending for Mark. And Darnell's going to unpack some of the elements of that as we go along. But in this moment, here they are, the three women doing what women have always done, cared for their dead. They do making their way to this place of last respects, this place where hope doesn't drive them, really faith doesn't drive them. Faith bled out on Friday afternoon. The verse immediately before this one tells the story of them accompanying the body to this place. Part of that is apologetic. Mark wants you to know there's no way they got the wrong tomb. They had been there. They'd left breadcrumbs. They knew where they were going. They were there. And so as they come, they are driven not really ultimately by faith or really ultimately by 
hope, they are drawn by love. Because love keeps you in the game when faith and hope have packed their bags and gone home. Love keeps them in this place and allows them then to see the rebirth of faith of a very different kind and hope of a very different kind. Their conversation is very practical. It's muted. They have no expectation of what's coming. They are ready to do their job. They're ready to do their duty. They've done it before countless times in this age where thousands of people are crucified in this way. And they are wondering who's going to roll the stone away. It's, it's too big for the three of us. Who's going to do that? And they are walking. Mark gives us this little insight. They're walking, eyes averted, looking down. And as they make their way to the tomb, they look up and see that the stone has been blown out of the opening. It's gone. It's over there. And, and timidly, they look in and see a, a young man in white sitting on the, on the right side of the shelf where the body, they put the body two and a half days ago. They, they remember doing that. And the, and, the, and the young man seeing the look on their faces, and I think we can probably say at this point that it's an angel they are seeing, seeing the look on their faces says to them, don't be alarmed, don't be afraid. Well, easy for you to say. We're, we're expecting to do something here, and now, what, where, how, where, don't, don't, don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He's not here. He is risen. They had no place in the filing cabinet of their understanding to make sense of those three words. He is risen. They didn't know what to make of that. He is risen. See, here's the place where they laid him, they being you all. Here's the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples in Peter. So this mundane concern is replaced by a great fear. What, what, what is happening? And nothing in all of their lives could prepare them for this heart-stopping moment. Hmm. Now, if they'd been paying attention over the last several weeks, Jesus has told them repeatedly, at least three times in the Gospel of Mark alone, what was going to happen. But because they couldn't understand, in fact, Mark tells us they heard him use the words, be raised from the dead, but they didn't know what he meant and were afraid to ask him. So they didn't. And here they are in the, in the scene of this moment, and they don't make sense. They can't make sense of it. The shock, the dismay is replaced by an order. Go, look, see, go tell. Make sure you include Peter. Meet him in Galilee. And that's how the story ends. Trembling, bewildered, they fled. And they said nothing to anybody because they were afraid. Boy, that is a most unsatisfactory ending for an Easter story. We want, we want, we want fireworks. We want at least confetti cannons, apparently. Your hot dog cannons, whatever that is. We want a better ending. And I'm going to suggest to you that this ending, which ends in confusion and challenge and difficulty, is precisely what Mark has been up to his whole gospel. I used to refer uh, back in the old days to Mark as the MTV gospel. Those old people among you will recognize that cultural reference. 
Uh, it's, this, it's this regular ongoing shifting every eight seconds with a leaning forward into the next moment. And that is exactly what Mark is doing. You have to run to keep up with Jesus in the gospel of Mark. Yeah. He is leaning forward all the time. He is, he is saying one thing and then a couple moments, verses later, that gets... I see that and raise you three and, and away we go. So the gospel of Mark ends with us leaning to the edge of the cliff of the moment. And then Mark just pushes us over the cliff and invites us into a brand new reality that nobody, nobody had seen emerging from this brokenness. I think it's a perfect ending for the pandemic moment hmm. that we're in. Yeah. And, Bill, that was great. You can was grab that a good? seat. Yeah, that's so Did good. Did I do it? Okay. Yep. Word for followed. word. Okay, you good. followed my notes. Yep. That's all I Perfectly need. As long great. as I have Just you, I'll keep, never get lost. Keep going down my <laughs> notes. Wait, hold on. Let me help you out. I know you can't bend that far, so there you go. Keep going. Just I love you, dude. <laughs> what I love about this story of this resurrection story is um, how it challenges some of the cultural Christianity that we live in. Yeah as Christians, where we want to make faith this other thing. And what I mean by that is it seems like Christians have compartmentalized what is their life. We have our, our family life over here, um, and, then if, and then we have our work life over here, and then, you know, we have the time with the guys or the time with the gals, and we have our online world, and then we have cr- Christian life um, over here, and you know, faith seems to be for many of us almost an excuse to escape mm. from the rest of the life that we have. Like we we make faith this other experience, this this thing that is it, it, almost like a hallmark card. We just it, it, it's something that that doesn't necessarily get its way into the things we're really actually experiencing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like. When, when we're feeling down on Monday morning again after a Sunday high, it's almost like we, we think, oh, we lost our faith over here. And that when that disappointment comes in or when that frustration or when Jesus didn't meet the expectations we had or when 2020 happens and the job's gone, the dreams died, the hope that we once had, the community that we had, everything that we are moving toward is gone it feels like in our Christian subculture, faith doesn't work in that space of pain and despair and frustration and real life. But this resurrection story actually includes things like despair, frustration, disappointment, expectations not being met. You see, faith is about trust. It's about stepping into a reality, walking into a reality. Faith in scripture is, is grounded in the flesh and blood, in the ordinary experience. And we read that in this story where it says, when the Sabbath was over, the women brought the spices hmm. to anoint the body of Jesus. Hmm. They weren't going to the tomb expecting the resurrection. They were going to finish the embalming process of burying their dead friend and Messiah. Mm -hmm. They witnessed his brutal death. For them, they were showing up to finish the task. And perhaps that's what we need to be reminded of today. 
that maybe all the faith you can muster is simply showing up with all of those questions, with all of those feelings, with all of those unanswered questions as you sit in the tension of what you wished would take place and what you experience. I love what Dallas Willard says in Living Without Lack. He says, faith born out of experience is the means by which the mind contacts reality. Hmm. If I hope to have light in a dark room, my faith in the light switch leads me over to the light switch, which I then flip up, and I have what I hoped for. Light fills the room. In other words, faith is not some static thing that's someplace else. It is something we act upon. It's something we walk in. It's something we keep one foot in front of the other, even when it doesn't make sense. Faith is that gentle hum that holds you together Mm -hmm. when the world around you is falling apart. Mm -hmm. And so this story, what I love about it is the women are frustrated. They're disappointed. They lost their rabbi. And after a Sabbath rest, they go early in the morning to finish burying the dead. Their dreams were frustrated by circumstances, yet they showed up and they remained faithful to finish the task. And so in the story of community, there are some of us who are filled with faith. The kind of faith that just shows up when life is not going as planned. Do you have those friends? Like some of you went through this last year And you weren't the one to show up. You had the one, the friend that showed up for you in those moments. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think this is one of those moments in the story of resurrection where you're seeing a glimpse of the humanity of the community of God. Mm -hmm. I see the interactions going on back there. You're nudging the person next to you saying, you were that for me. I was thinking of my mom, by the way. It was a woman's touching my mom. Yeah. And so the, the, the women show up and then there's this like, there's this gentle nod towards the men. Yeah. When they get to the, when they have this plan, we're going to finish the burial process. There's this line where they're saying to themselves, who will roll the stone away? Because it's a nod. Where are the men? Sleeping in? Ha ha ha. No. They're not sleeping in. They can't even show up because of the disappointment and failure they just experienced. And we'll see the fear of what would happen to the men showing up. But the women show up uh, when the men aren't. And so what we see is that uh, faith is grounded in humanity. Faith is grounded even in our disappointment. Faith is grounded in our missed expectations. And we can learn from the story of the resurrection how to have faith when those things in life don't go as well as we planned. Faith is simply showing up. Yeah. And so as uh, this story goes along and they show up in the moment and are invited into a mystery for which they have no understanding, they've stepped off into the cliff, off the cliff of unknowing, and here they are almost in free fall. Oh, Sorry. Um, um, (laughs) (laughs) You're a trained butterfly. Um, 
<laughs> it's it's this it's this this and again as we said the the women are there the men frankly it was safe for the women to show up if the men had shown up they would be rightly afraid of being arrested remember that jesus for the, from the standpoint of history was not executed for the sins of the world jesus was executed for treason and those who were affiliated with him, you can feel Peter's anxiety about this. Those who were affiliated with him were in the crosshairs. That's why they'd been, they've, been, they, they've been sheltering in place, if you will. Mm. So the women make their way. They, they can fly under the radar of expectation. Nobody, nobody expects much in this moment, which is the kingdom's secret weapon from those of whom nothing is expected much arises right and they hear this 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 invitation to become heralds evangelists telegraphers of the good news go and tell his disciples he's not here he's going ahead go and tell his disciples and peter i I don't know if that lands with you the way it lands with me those are my two favorite words in the entirety of the gospel of mark and Peter, and you know why? This, this Mark, Mark is Peter's nephew. It's from Peter that Mark gets this version of the gospel. Mm. And this little two-word sentence is not an and of exclusion. Go tell the disciples and Peter. <laughs> it's an and of inclusion. Make sure you tell Peter. Make sure that Peter gets in on this. Make sure that he who is the lead disciple, the guy who everybody looks to, make sure that he gets the word that everything has changed. Remember Peter's story in the Gospel of Mark is the story of a guy who's relentlessly throwing darts, hoping that at some point he's going to hit a target. Right? Just draw one around where the dart lands for crying out loud. Let me know that I got something right. In this moment, he speaks without thinking. And every once in a while, he says the right thing almost by accident. But, but then he's moved on so fast, it's almost like we forget the good thing that he said. Anybody know what that feels like? <laughs> you try so hard and can't quite yeah, get it there, right? right. It, it's a, a day late and a dollar short. And this is Peter, and, and there's a reason for this in the Gospel of Mark, because this is not just Peter, this is all of us. At some point, at some time, we say the right things without even knowing that they're the right things, without even knowing what we mean when we say them. So tell Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter is, a, is the guy who is all in. He is the one who has made declaration of his faith. He is with mm. Jesus. He is ready to die for Jesus. Mm. He's just not yet ready for Jesus to die. Mm. He, doesn't, he doesn't know. He's, you watch him in the garden. He's got the sword. He's ready. He is ready mm. to give his life for this cause. Mm. And he doesn't know what to make of what happens next. He slices off a guy's ear. That's the mark of an untrained swordsman. (laughs) You have to be really bad to do that. (laughs) You know? And Jesus sticks the guy's ears back on and Peter's looking at the sword in his hand and say, that's just not fair. What do I do with that? And you can feel the 
truth, the heart, the honest to God truth as he's pinned against the wall by a 16-year-old girl's questions. You're one of them, aren't you? You're a follower of him, aren't you? And Peter says the truest thing that he has ever said. I don't know him. I can't make any sense out of him. He's not at all what I thought he was. I don't know him at all. And in that moment, the rooster crows that Jesus would, would told him would. Can you imagine living the rest of your life every single morning that the rooster crowed reminding you of your failure? Mm. That's good. And Peter. Hey, buddy, it's not over. I want, you to, I want you to get in on this. I don't want you to shame yourself into the corner of disappearance. I don't want you to miss what's coming next. Because, Peter, there is a next. And I need you to be in on it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. And we catch a glimpse of this, this larger narrative because this is not just Peter, right? It's my name at the end of that sentence. Go tell the disciples. And Bill, go tell the disciples. And Brittany, go tell the disciples. Put your name in there. Put your name in there. Go tell because I want you to be part of the new that is emerging, this larger narrative, because resurrection means all and every single one of our failures, our self-deceptions, our trying harder and never making, all of that gets gathered up in the wonder of the new that emerges from that empty tomb. Go tell the disciples and let them know this is an engraved invitation to the wonder of what's next. You don't want to miss it. But this is so far outside of the realm of the women's understanding that they run away trembling, afraid. They are ready to live with the dead but can't understand what to do with the living. They're driven by fear to the next moment. It's good, yeah. Again, <laughs> just... Thank you for following the notes word for word yeah, this yeah. time. I memorized it. Like everything you say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bill. <laughs> you get to the end of this story, and it ends with, they were afraid. Yeah. And it's such a terrible ending for Christians. Right? Like, wait. So like er, what we have is if you read your Bible, there's brackets and it, it says like earliest man, manuscripts doesn't have the next section and the next section is what we love. Like you're going to have all authority from heaven and you're going to preach the gospel to creation. Yeah. You're going to get bit by snakes and they're not going to harm you. Yes. <clears throat> That's the ending. Freedom. But... uh we that get, they didn't say ending. anything to anyone because they were afraid, which if you were paying attention, you would know that this is very intentional by Mark. There's a formula he creates throughout his gospel to show you what's about to happen. Fear comes into the story. They were afraid. They were bewildered. And then it, something else happens. It's a literary tool. Mm -hmm. It's like me saying, 
Once upon a time, dot, 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 you know I'm about to tell you a fairy tale. Or if I began a story with, in a galaxy far, far away, Star Wars fans would be like, I, I feel you, bro. I got you. I see you. Mark gives us this formula where he, he introduces this moment in a story, in a, in a character where there's fear that comes into the story, but he never leaves you hanging with fear ever until this moment. So over and over again, there's this pattern. Fear comes into the story, then something new happens. Somebody brings their fear to Jesus, and it seems like fear becomes an invitation for God to do something. Fear becomes an invitation for God to show up. There's this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, and it says she wastes all of her money trying to cure herself. She went going to doctors and she has this thought, if I could just get close enough to Jesus and I touch his robe, this is no longer functioning. Um, I don't know what you did here, Bill. but uh, It was working fine when I left. It's fine. It's cool. It's broken. Uh, when I use uh, stands, they tend to work. So it must be this co-thing going on here. So. Oh, really? Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that worked. Yeah, that worked. Okay, I'll give you that. Thank you, Bill. Your expertise. <clears throat> so this woman trying to cure herself says, if I just touch his, the hem of his robe, I can be cured, which is a, a throwback to an Old Testament idea. And uh, she goes and she touches Jesus and she's healed. Um, now, in that context, a woman who's bleeding like this would mark Jesus as unclean because she herself is unclean based on the customs and rules of the Jewish community. She wasn't allowed to touch anyone else or um, to touch a holy man, and she was at risk of contaminating Jesus. And so Jesus, being touched by lots of people, realizes somebody touched him. Mm-hmm. And knowing power went out, it says, and that something happened he said, who touched me? And the disciples are like, everybody's touching you. What, what, what do you mean? You're crazy. And he, he asks, and then the woman, it says in Mark 5, trembling with fear. Ding, 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 ding. Once upon a time, she told him the whole truth. She's at risk of being exposed. Knowing that he knows what's going on, she could be marked As a sinner, she just made him unclean. She could be excommunicated for such a travesty. Fear comes into the story. And his response, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. Hmm. Fear comes into the story. It's brought to Jesus. And a woman is walking away in her true identity, filled with peace, freed from her suffering. That's good news. Yeah. Jairus runs up to Jesus and says, my daughter is dying. Will you come? Yes, I'll come. She's 12 years old. This interruption happens. This woman touches him. She gets healed. And as she gets healed, news comes about this daughter. She died. He's like, Jairus says, don't come. It's, it's too late. Everyone's already grieving the death of a 12-year-old daughter. Could you imagine that mm. father? And Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Hmm. Once upon a time. Yeah. He leads Jairus into the room filled with darkness and death. And she's brought back to life. Hmm. Fear 
begins the story, new life is ended in the story. That fear brought to Jesus. There's a story of a, a storm that's going to capsize the boat. You know how it goes. They're about to die. The disciples are afraid, it says. <laughs> you got the story. Yes. Okay, so Jesus calms the storm. But what we read about, <laughs> tell me we have that recorded. For the rest, can we make a, like a meme of that of some sort? My Vanna White over here. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> I'm going to sit now. Fear, we're going we're gonna to die. Jesus calms the storm. And this is what happens over and over again. So what you have is this invitation, that fear is an invitation for God to do something. Fear comes into the story. Mm. Peace, freedom comes. Healing comes. Stillness comes. It ends with trembling and bewildered. The women went out to, and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. afraid. This is Mark's way of saying to be continued. Yeah. As disciples, will you choose to finish the gospel narrative? What will you do with the story you now have, the story you now possess, with the faith, how little small it is? What will you do now that fear comes into the story, but you're walking away from an empty tomb? Mark is giving you an invitation for God to move because we know that the Holy Spirit comes and these women who said nothing to no one they preach the gospel. Yeah. In fact, we wouldn't have the resurrection story if we didn't have women preachers. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. The men who are filled with failure, are f- filled with failure and disappointment, not willing to show up, they will never again deny the resurrected Jesus. Never again will Peter say, I never knew him. He will go to his death on a cross upside down, according to church tradition, following Jesus to the end. Yeah. Those who are afraid of the things going on around them will be faithful because frustration is not the end of the story. Failure is not the end of the story. Fear is not the end of the story. The resurrection story teaches us that fear and failure and frustration are the hinges on the door of faith, trust, and surrender. And the question is, what will you do with what you now know? Where will your faith lead you? Yeah, yeah, because that's Mark's intent, right? He wants to leave us hanging. He wants to push us off the edge and invite us into the grand adventure um, because that's what it's all about. Another overarching theme for the Gospel of Mark, you may recall, it begins with this statement. This is the genesis of Jesus the Messiah. The genesis, the beginning. This is the start of the story. And you may recall that uh, Genesis begins precisely where Mark ends. It begins with what the Hebrew language uses, this formless and void. The Hebrew is tohu vabohu, this this condition of of emptiness, this condition of formlessness, this condition of, of, of chaos and confusion, and who knows what's next, right? And this becomes the, the, the seedbed as the spirit broods over this emptiness, this darkness, this confusion, this bewilderment, this fear, and over this, these are the exact conditions into which the word of creation comes and new life springs forth that nobody could possibly ever imagine. I wonder what this pandemic tohu vabohu, with the spirit brooding over it, Mm. And the word of 
life being spoken into it. I'm wondering what new creation might spring out of this moment. Mm, We can't pray prayers of nostalgia. Our five-year plans are in shatters. But God is not anxious about this moment. He invites us into the grand adventure of co-creation. As it turns out, this is the perfect ending for the gospel of Mark because it's really just the end of the beginning and the start of the rest of the story. As we bring all of the pain, all of the loss, all of the disappointments of this last season and we leave them in the emptiness of the tomb and join Jesus on his mission which has only just begun. But we also leave, by the way, our triumphs and our successes and the things that we used to be good at They get left behind too as God is doing and inviting us into a new thing and invites us to join him in the wonder of it. So we come to the end of our discussion on the resurrection. And I want to end with another literary tool that Mark uses in his gospel where he contrast two characters together hmm. and and at the end it's basically who do you want to be yeah um in our christian culture context we make following jesus a real convenient participation right come to church put some money in the bucket believe the right ideas about god but basically keep living your life and you have this fire insurance essentially Am I I oversimplifying? But that's basically what we experience, right? That the American Christian life is very much similar to the American way of life. And Mark addresses that even in his day. And the contrast is, will you be part of the crowd or will you be a disciple? Will you be part of the crowd? The crowd that is excited on an Easter Sunday, metaphorically speaking, saying, Hosanna in the highest, as Jesus comes in, but the moment Jesus doesn't meet your expectation, you say, crucify him. I like what you're saying over here about being good to my neighbors and loving them, but I don't like what you say about money. I like this idea of, uh, you know, uh, not getting too angry, that's fine, but I don't like the idea of putting my trust, of picking up my cross and following you. See, we cherry pick the Jesus we made in our own image. And so we remain comfortable as the crowd. But Jesus and the gospel of Mark is drawing you into an invitation to greater life, abundant life, but that will only come if you learn how to die well. That's the Christian message. It's terrible. I don't know how we came up with seeker-friendly sermons. My task is to tell you, if you want life, you have to learn how to lose it. If you want abundance, you have to give it all away. You have to die to yourself. Church, if you're new to the church, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Let me fit you over here for your cross, which is the worst form of death you could possibly have. And Jesus says, if you don't pick up your cross, you're not worth following me. And he says, count the cost. That's the message of Jesus. Why? Because that's where the life is. That's where resurrection is. And so brothers and sisters,
as we celebrate our risen king, I want to remind you that it doesn't matter where your faith is, how much you have, what you've experienced this last year, the death of relatives, that's a pain, that's loss. The death of a dream, that's a pain, that's loss. The death of your career, your routine, your future, I get it. We're all walking with various things in our life and the point is to bring those real things to Jesus because he cares about those real things because he cares about you. And as you bring that stuff to Jesus, fear will go and something new will form. But that invitation comes with a cost the rest of your life. So I wanna invite you to move away from the crowd, which is fickle, and step into a long obedience in the same direction towards a living, resurrected Jesus. Because what we believe is, if there's no empty tomb, then this is pointless. But we know that he is risen, and he is risen indeed. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church. Well